0: Everybody, welcome! Welcome here, show 148 on Crypto Voices. Matthew Brzezinski is your host here from from the Baltic states, joined here by my co-host Alec Harris from the Eastern Seaboard states of the U.S. and Halo Privacy. Alec, what's going on, man?
1: What's up? I love this new moniker there. This Maddie Big Dog. <laughs> is that self declared go- or like
0: nobody's go- Nobody was going to see that on the recording. Now I have to not. Cut this. We'll see. But uh, yeah, that's just, you know, you can call me that. No problem.
1: Cool. Awesome.
0: And uh, very happy to introduce now our special guest, Yael Osowski. He is a uh, visiting fellow at the Bitcoin Policy Institute, deputy director for the Consumer Choice Center. And the co-host, I believe, of a fairly new Bitcoin podcast, Fix the Money which I was happy to be on, in fact, uh, this week. And I just figured, why don't we just turn the tables and bring you on ours, good sir. So yeah, thanks a lot for uh, coming on and welcome.
2: Well, uh, yes, Matt, thank you so much uh, for having me here on the program. Good to talk to you. I've spoken to you on a couple of other occasions and now I get to be on your stream and uh, podcast. This is a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to have you do the vast majority of the talking now. What do you want to focus on to start? I mean, You want to go banking, as we talked about, when i was on your show or do you want to talk about uh, some of the legislative changes that we've seen at uh, a state level which is pretty interesting in the united states for bitcoin or anything you know piquing
2: your interest on the podcast uh well yeah it's uh it gave me a lot of good areas to start with i i think um, looking at the legislative stuff in the u.s is very interesting and i think you guys would definitely agree um you know as uh holders of american eagle passports looking at what's happening in, you know, the the good states, red states at the moment, you have a lot of pressure on politicians to get in the know on various financial matters. So we're talking about the bank runs, we're talking about the banking crises, but at the same time, we're also talking about CBDCs. And there's been a, a you know, there's been, a, I think, a pretty fervent push I'd argue, from many different groups, um, whether they be consumer groups, a lot of conservative groups, uh, many who are Bitcoiners, those who are in the crypto world, to try to figure out how best to try to oppose central bank digital currencies. And there's been a lot of pressure on specifically governors in red states to do something about it. And we saw Christy Nome, who is, um, as I am now, a, a resident of South Dakota, a nomad resident, uh, she is, um, you know, very fiery on many different issues. Uh, sorry, you're normal, typical social conservative. And uh, she whipped out the branding iron to veto a bill that she claimed would have created a backdoor for CBDCs in South Dakota. So this, uh, there's, there's a lot of fervor around it. You wrote a great article on this. We'll link to it in the
0: show notes. Do you want to go through that a little bit?
2: Yeah, so this has to do with something called the Uniform Law Commission. Um, sounds terrible and nerdy and strange, and it is, uh, but this is a, a essentially a commission of private lawyers, of uh, different experts from different fields. They get together and just create a model bill or a set of model bills that should be uh, the same throughout the United States of America. So... Many people don't know this, but most of the laws in the US are at the local level, usually at the state level. Uh, That's where you have most of your criminal law. It's where you have a lot of your commercial law. So they create this entire uh, sort of model bill that different states can implement to ensure that there's some kind of uniformity, right? So you have a contract between a company in Texas and one in Delaware. You don't want to have, you know, strangely Wildly different rules in either jurisdiction. So, what they've done is they've created a, a kind of model bill that can be implemented. And there's a part of it called Article 12, which deals with digital assets. And in short, this is a very good bill. It protects Bitcoin, it protects self custody, it protects the ability for you to use Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrencies in commercial contracts. And the way that it is written in, Uh, They don't use the term Bitcoin and everything else. They use the term controllable electronic records. So a lot of it is about how you have ownership of that particular asset. And uh, unfortunately, what happened is you had a lot of misinterpretation by social media influencers and people online that this created some backdoor for CBDC that got up to the governor. She immediately vetoed it. At the same time, Ron DeSantis sniffed this out, and, you know, he's sort of on the presidential uh, tour right now, and he created his own little um, press conference where he said, hey, no CBDCs here in Florida. Come for the sunshine, but no uh, central bank digital currencies. So it kind of created this firestorm, and what I did is I called up the guys who actually wrote this thing, you know, as journalists do, (laughs) and, and I asked them, and all of them actually are Bitcoiners themselves. They all hate central bank digital currencies, and they just wanted to find the best way in commercial law in the United States to advocate for Bitcoin. And that's what they did, and that's why they wrote this bill. And unfortunately, now it's been maligned, and I understand exactly why Noam would veto it. I understand why any Republican governor would oppose it in that current context and framing, but everybody's wrong, and the truth is kind of you know left out to the wind
0: yeah because they're the confusion there is that uh you know they're not classifying bitcoin as money, they're classifying it as something else, but in this circumstance it's actually good
2: yeah, and that's the whole entire question is you you have different crowds you know amongst uh bitcoiners, right you have those who are big fans of u s legal tender will be bitcoin mm. for them that's very important mm-hmm. uh for you know, there's an entire, and you know, there's an entirely different sort of cipher funk angle where you don't want the government like even involved in any way possible, and you surely don't want them having any kind of control or larger treasury because they could overtake all of us with you know trillions of dollars. <laughs> so I think that's where you have this this that's where it rubs up against one another, and unfortunately, you know, we have great state based policy on Bitcoin that could be could be implemented, and unfortunately. Right now, it's it's going to be very difficult to do that without having to talk incessantly about CBDCs, even if the bill would have nothing to do with it, doesn't mention it, and um, realistically is very good for Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, I talked
0: uh, with Marty on TFDC a lot about this yesterday. I mean, it seems to me that, and Balaji as well, you know, even though he's, he's given some outrageous uh, price predictions that he's not exactly describing now correctly, uh, it's definitely not a CBDC. But I, I certainly agree with the whole sentiment that he's trying to do here with this bit signal and his whole million dollar bet thing. One of the things I saw, which I think uh, really rung home with me, especially living over here in, in Europe, is, you know, it's not we don't need to immediately assume that we're going to just fall into this sort of hellscape of like the capital, like Hunger Games style is going to regulate everything as it goes with with uh, both CBDCs and with Bitcoin and everybody else in the whole country is just going to be left out in the cold. Uh, as he said, and I, I think is certainly absolutely true, like there are plenty of red states, you know, Bitcoiners are for Democrats as well, but there are plenty of red states which seem to be wholeheartedly, uh, you know, also in the wake of everything that happened with COVID, uh, just embracing more localized uh, pro-freedom type legislation. And he was saying in Texas, they're even going to put it on the docket this year to try to have it like where bitcoin you, you, you know it's it's going to be like full property i don't know all these legislative uh, layers right but it's it's going to be on the texas uh, legislative uh, you know up for a vote basically this year that bitcoin will be treated as property in texas that would never be able to be seized basically that's how he said
2: it you know currently in the law bitcoin is technically per the irs considered property right and I think a lot of people are. are, That's what they were getting very upset about. Is well, they're calling Bitcoin not money. That is our only goal. Therefore, we're mad at this. When you know, when you actually look at it, and you get into legalistic interpretations, and you're talking about you know law, you're not talking about your own value prop or what you consider. It's just what does the law consider. And if the law considers that Bitcoin is money, that means it is subject to extra restrictions that you or I would not want. You would have. Much more financial surveillance of the entire Bitcoin protocol, you would have actual you know chain analysis groups which, I mean, would essentially be deputized by governments and would have their own departments because they would have to track all this stuff. You want to have in the current legalistic framing that exists, you want to have bitcoin as property you want to have it in this kind of new category ideally that would be a non controllable electronic record or a digital asset We just don't have that in the law yet, and I think that's where. There's a lot of confusion. People want to score points and likes and views. And um, I found basically I, I've been advocating in policy, you know, for about 10 years now, doing it more loudly with Bitcoin and uh, generally the sort of crypto ecosystem probably the last three years. And I find that a lot of the the influencer type stuff, over the, it's kind of dangerous because you can get a lot of misinformation out there. And this stuff is very problematic because it actually could impact laws that make it much harder to access those fiat on or off ramps, which, as we know right now, are currently being closed.
1: Can we pivot over to this? Uh, and Forgive me if I pronounce it incorrectly, but the Catawba digital economic zone that you were writing about. Um, this sure. is kind of novel. And can you unpack it a little? Like, Why is it? Is it a novelty? Does it matter? Can we leverage it?
2: Oh, so uh, the the Catawba digital economic zone, it's it's um it's a wonderful idea. So we have had economic zones in various jurisdictions, many of them in Honduras, um, throughout you know Latin America, and this essentially this idea is you get a private charter from a government that basically says, hey, on this plot of land, your rules don't apply, our rules do, and. You know there's all kind of different caveats and they haven't worked well in latin america as you because you tend not to have good rule of law um so this one is put together by a couple of folks out of the carolinas and it's with the Catawba nation um, so the U.S. Constitution and many different rules and laws in the States actually have huge advantages carved out for Native American tribes. And that's sort of uh, the angle that this particular zone took. Uh, you know, it's, it's a DAO type thing. And I, I have to admit, I, I don't know much about DAOs. Uh, I am usually fairly skeptical of this stuff because they usually require their own token. And there's all kinds of strange governance stuff. But what they're aiming to do in their digital economic zone is not just allow people to register companies, but also to have the best model policies when it comes to digital assets. So that's why they signed up to have Article 12 of UCC as quickly as possible. And they're also working on other bills as well that would you know, protect some of these decentralized autonomous organizations that would protect your property if that was Bitcoin or something else. Um, So I think they're doing something very interesting. It's all technically in cyberspace, but using the sort of legal front, uh, the legal protection of an Indian nation, U.S. federal law.
1: So, but can anyone in the U.S. sort of register it there and leverage it? Or do you have to be a resident? How how does that work?
2: So you can technically, yeah, anybody can use it. Um, The only question is, is it going to be, you know, validated uh, for your purpose? Is it going to be used, you know, can you use that? Go into the bank. That's a, that's a whole other question. Um, and I think we've seen that with many other places. I mean, there are all kinds of these economic zones or people come up with, uh, you know, these small countries, an example like Liberland, um, which exists between Serbia and Croatia, which is essentially a self-declared piece of land by a Czech politician. Um, his name is Vít. Uh, Vít you know, he went there a couple of years ago, planted the flag of Liberland, made it a libertarian nation. Um, you know, upon my own visit there, I found that You know, the only thing you'll see there is um, handcuffs on your wrists by the Serbian authorities if you try to go. Uh, But people are trying to always build these kind of new nations. And, you know, related to Balaji, his book is actually great. I don't know if you read it, The Network State. You know, he talks a lot about this, that, you know, if you want to really have the true economic freedom that everybody talks about, you need to be able to crowdsource. You need to be able to actually get together some kind of territory. People need to be doing this online. And eventually, we'll get to a, a point where we'll have some kind of physical jurisdiction, physical property, where we can actually practice our economic freedom much freer than today.
0: As the sovereign individual uh, predicted as well, like 20 years ago. Indeed. Oh, longer. More. Yeah. yeah, it was in the 90s. 90s, it was 90s right?
1: yeah. 90s, yeah. Uh, so, well, <laughs> you guys saw Doquan was arrested in Montenegro yesterday? I didn't. Yeah. Man. Oh yeah, sure did. So he was arrested at the airport with fake docs, but he's not on the run. Um, just you know, thinking of a guy looking for a, a better jurisdiction um, didn't quite find it. I don't know why he came, you know, to that part of the world. Um, so uh, I want to play devil's advocate a little on the CBDC front. But the Chinese are are well on their way, right, and and they will use every bit of economic and otherwise influence. To promulgate the use and force and mandate the use of their CBDC. So, uh, how do how do Western currencies maintain as an outpost, right? Not force this kind of like surveillance currency on people, but still remain competitive. Uh, wh- what's the what's the trajectory between a digital currency and non digital currency?
2: Well, that's a good one. Um, can I have you heard about fiduciary media? <laughs> Um I think this is um it's a it's an interesting argument because um Matt talked about this the other day on another podcast but the idea that you have um, so much innovation in the banking and and finance world in Europe as compared to the United States you know that is in itself an issue and a problem and um slows things down and those of us who hold a foot in both uh, continents you know makes it much more difficult to transfer money uh, so I do think there you know, there will have to be advantages, but that's on the private sector side. That's on the bank side. That's on the financial apps and inclusion side. It's not up to the government to make it so that people can spend the money as easily as possible. Uh, They're doing a very good job of that on their own. But when it comes to the sort of consumer application of money, you know, you should have private innovators come up with all kinds of different things. We see right now, I mean, this is related to the Operation Choke Point 2.0, but Cash App and specifically Square and Block. I mean, they're sort of in the crosshairs um, for many different short sellers and you know, who knows, law enforcement, no idea. But there you have a good financial product that a lot of people can use. They're able to use Bitcoin natively and the US dollar natively. They're able to use the Lightning Network on there. And we just don't have that with so many other applications and apps. And the only problem will be what are the the on and off ramps and that's where china just says hey we'll we'll just control everything right from a to z but in the us there's just all these different compliance things it's very difficult to be able to actually send dollars if you don't have the correct permissions so I agree there's got to be innovation. I just don't think it has to take place uh, you know, out, out of the Federal Reserve Building in Washington, D.C. It can happen amongst many different private entrepreneurs who already have solutions. And indeed, people are building on the Bitcoin protocol every day with all kinds of solutions that are awesome and great and cool. Uh, we just don't yet have a circular economy to where people are making Bitcoin and then able to spend it. Um, everybody has to convert, convert, convert. But once we kind of reach that, that pinnacle change, uh, we wouldn't have to do that anymore. So it's kind of incumbent upon all of us if we do believe in the tech as well to continue with the circular economy, use it as much as you can. I mean, I definitely do that for my haircut, all my servers online, I try to pay with Bitcoin, Um, you know, payments between friends. I think that's the kind of stuff, smaller scale, but, you know, it grows more and more. And, you know, that can be in parallel to the USD system. It doesn't have to be on, you know, on the totally opposite side. Yeah. The
0: hard thing is they're always going to claim and cry money laundering, you know, Alec, I don't know if you, you I, you're referring to that report. yeah, Alec uh, sent me that report about square block. The, the Hindenburg one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're very effective
1: at what they do. Right. So Hindenburg research, right. They're short sellers. They set up their positions and then they do very in depth. Um, and you know, at times laudable investigations into, uh, publicly traded companies. Uh, and they benefit from the negative media backlash once their report is released. But their argument is, well, the reports are accurate, right? So people need to know. And this is, a, this is a, an actual function of short sellers uh, is to sort of self-regulate the market. Uh, and the, you know, they went after that, uh, what turned out to be a total sham electric truck company. I'm blanking on the name. It was a couple of years ago. That was kind of their, most, their original, most famous one. And then the Adani Group was only a couple of months ago. Uh, out of India and now block. Uh, and so the block report is scathing, right? Um, and I would, you know, we can link to that in the show notes, but, uh, you know, everything from propping up um, like fake numbers of daily active users, monthly active users. Uh, but the, the real thrust of it is in how easily Cash App is used for fraud, right? And that the, the fraud department inside of Cash App does almost nothing to try to eliminate fraud, uh, so much so that for instance, if I'm a scammer and I have a hundred fraud accounts and they identify one of them, all they do is shut down the one account that was identified and they let me run the other 99. Uh, and so it's used for money muling and, uh, uh, fraud and, you know, payments for illicit products. Right. And so, uh, the problem I see, right. Well,
2: that's the, that's the allegation, right? Correct. Uh, it's not like confirmed. Yeah. yeah.
1: But they, so they cite, um, Uh, And you're right, it's an allegation, but they cite uh, firsthand, you know, insider uh, documents on how that fraud department works. So uh, and this, whether it's all true or not, right, the issue is this will be painted as Bitcoin's fault, right? And nothing in that report has anything to do with Bitcoin, right? It's just pure, like, you could do that kind of fraud on Venmo or PayPal. Um, And so that's the downside, right, is it'll just be fodder.
2: Yeah, that's true. Um, I, I think the the greatest retorts to the to the report that I saw is, uh, well, if you just remove the word "app" and make it "cash," uh, that, that's actually a real danger of money laundering is uh, <laughs> USD cash. Yeah, hundred dollar uh, bill. Yeah, there's a lot of resources that were put into this, and you can, yeah, you can definitely see there's a lot of. I I saw a lot of inside information because they say firsthand, you know, it can't just be like one one person at at Cash App and, or Block whoever who's releasing all this information. This is a pretty coordinated thing. And look, I don't follow many of these financial reports of short sellers and things like this. Uh, you guys probably have a better gauge on that than I do. It's just the uh, most convenient of timing. And, you know, it's just the restricting of, again, of the the on and off ramps. I think Cash App as a customer product has been incredible. Not a lot of people know that outside of, of the US because it's only for Americans right now. But, I mean, it's actually... It works way better than PayPal, works way better than many other apps. Um, You know, again, I don't know the internal mechanics of it. And yeah, I'm sure every company makes mistakes. There are probably some things. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. I, I wonder if there's going to be other analyses of the report, because uh, I'm not familiar enough with Hindenburg and, and kind of what they do. Um, So you guys could probably tell me more a lot about that. Well, I'm sure they'll be a- But I agree short sellers are important in a free market economy. Yes.
1: Yeah, I mean I agree with that too. And you know, typically there's a response uh from the you know the accused. Uh Adani had a response that was almost as long as the original report. Um so yeah, uh I agree with you, Yale, on this. Like I think Cash App is a great gateway drug. Like if you're like, hey, if you just you don't really know where to start, you're non-technical and you wanna just download something and be able to quickly have a Bitcoin wallet, it it works really well and it's really clean. There's a lot of not a lot of noise in there. Um so I'd rather see it survive than go
2: away. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, unfortunately, it's not open source. Uh, it'd be great, you know, you just fork it off, and then you have other an entirely different governance system behind it. Um, I think I, I've been getting way more into GitHub, I would say, the last six months, just learning how different projects are, what you can do, things you can change. Um, it's actually pretty incredible. There's a there's a great new, uh, you know, and I'm not affiliated at all, there's a, there's a new iPhone app called uh, Stack Wallet, And uh, this one actually integrates uh, BIP47 PayNIMS payment codes, uh, which before is only Android people. And essentially, the payment code allows you to have this reusable code that just generates a new Bitcoin address each time. Now, this is available on, on iOS for the first time. And, you know, in the U.S., iPhone is king. Outside the U.S., Android is king. But this is actually very good for private Bitcoin usage and adoption and everything else, and I'd love to see that evolving on on GitHub and now you can fork it, make it a bitcoin only app because they have other coins in there for right now. But that stuff is is kind of great to see that's why one thing that's just so great about the Bitcoin network protocol, people around it is that there are people from all different types of expertises who work on this. If it was only the developers and you know the computer scientists, it would go in a particular direction. but you've also got the people who care about economics, the people who care about privacy, the people who care about the actual code, the people who care about, you know, legalistic matters and getting the law right. You know, it's, it's kind of great to see that. And you really only have that with this decentralized protocol that is Bitcoin, where you don't have a board of directors or CEO or even a marketing department. In the last uh, maybe one or two days,
0: even uh, since we talked, yeah, I've I, I've been seeing much more about Operation Choke Point 2.0, presumably people sending screenshots of uh, limitations of fiat, uh, USD fiat in particular, uh, to USD type uh, registered Bitcoin exchanges to buy or sell Bitcoin. Do you have any thoughts on that? And have you seen or do you have any experience with that in your dealings in, in Europe?
2: Oh, uh, Well, it's definitely happening. There's a lot. Um, I think the biggest one was Kraken no longer accepting ACH deposits, which... Um is huge. This is a big deal. And we've already saw with the collapse of a sort of signature and a silvergate, you know you just don't have that many banks that are willing to hold the cash for different cryptocurrency companies and firms. Um, you know, I've already kind of seen it, and this is a very arcane small issue, but there's um, something called a money transmission license. So this is issued by a a a state to allow a company to transmit money between entities or people. And in the U.S., it depends on the state. Um, Montana is kind of the gold standard because they don't have these rules. But uh, essentially, any Bitcoin brokerage exchange, crypto exchange has to get one of these licenses. And what we started noticing is starting in South Dakota, ding, 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 um, and then also in Texas, is that the banking supervisors of those states started either not allowing the renewal of that money transmission license or all of a sudden requiring that they have much more liquid assets requiring that they have many more forms requiring that they have you know more transparent um board of directors all this kind of stuff and that meant that many of these different custodians who apply for these an example is prime trust they weren't allowed to serve clients anymore well that meant that swan bitcoin and strike they couldn't serve any customers in South Dakota or Texas. So if you're trying to quote stack sats in these places, because of this arcane, um, and I would say kind of discriminatory change in policy, it locked people out of that system, at least for that app, right? So that is something that's happening just kind of like at the small granular level. And then you're seeing it a bit more in the UK Where in the UK, many banks are now explicitly saying you cannot wire to cryptocurrency exchanges. So they're setting up internal policies. Now, I think it's our our goal should be to figure out what is at the source of that. Is it pure de-risk? Or is it some kind of government memo that went out? Some kind of information, some kind of thing from, you know, whether it be the... um, police, whether it be from, you know, regulatory agencies, that is happening. And that's why the the Bellagio bet is so interesting, because it's not just about, you know, number go up, it's about what is going to happen in these preceding three months, and what is happening. And I I do think there's this clampdown on the, the fiat rails to the crypto world. I think that's very concerning. However, I remain hopeful, because there are many different services and protocols and technologies that exist. So you can continuously trade peer-to-peer. Non-KYC stats where you don't have to use, you know, the official cryptocurrency exchanges. You can just exchange between people. I mean, I've been doing this since 2013, and I know many others have as well. A lot of people do that, you know, on the African continent and Asia and in Latin America. People use things like Telegram or they use different apps. So I think that is going to have to grow. Uh, but yeah, I think in the in the short term, it does mean that a lot of people are not going to be able to access that cryptocurrency that they're probably looking for.
0: Do you think there's a way to turn that tide? Or is this, uh, you know, really the beginning of the, you know, now they fight you phase and everybody better buckle in?
2: Oh, it's pretty big. I don't know. (laughs) It's like, you're talking about geopolitical uh, factors, you know, huge, huge things, a lot of licenses. It's very difficult. I mean, I think you should always, if you're interested in that, and um, you happen to, you know, have sat stacking as one of your hobbies on your LinkedIn page, you should probably have a couple of different sources where you're able to do that, whether it be apps, whether it be exchanges, brokerages, people, you know, um, some kind of income stream that would be in Bitcoin or something else. Um, I think everybody, it's, it's incumbent upon you to figure out how, how that best works for you. And I think, yeah, look, you're going to have to use your jurisdictional arbitrage. You know, there are some exchanges that you can use where, you know, they don't necessarily ask where you live or where you are or, you know, you only have to upload a document this is kind of what people are are driven to do i mean i'm sure you guys remember the early days buying bitcoin everywhere (laughs) all kinds of strange exchanges chinese exchanges indian exchanges Um, all you need was an address didn't need any id you know that was back in the day and then it was all of the um, money laundering laws everything kyc that sort of started getting implemented uh, really in the last six years or so um i look either Are options out there. I just hope people find them. And a lot of the innovators and entrepreneurs who are dedicated to this stuff, you know, they're using all these various technologies like PeachBitcoin, HODL, HODL, all the rest. I mean, there's all these different techs that people can use. Um, Not everybody can do it. Not everybody is technologically proficient, but I think the apps are only getting better.
1: Yeah. Uh, Did you guys see, uh, so Coinbase, you know, announced uh, they received this Wells notice and then the, either the GC or, or Chief Legal Officer there, You know, very, uh, I think, accurately said, tell us what the laws are and we'll follow them, right? Because, you know, if anyone like is doing the we're going to just follow all the rules game, it's Coinbase, right? You know, like it or leave it, right? But that's that's their angle. Um, And if they can't figure it out, then, you know, what hope does anyone else have?
0: And also the SEC already approved them to trade as a security in the United States. So a bit weird that the sec is going to now come on and say actually we don't like anything that you're doing it's pretty embarrassing
2: it's of two minds right because if you're a, a pure bitcoin maximalist um you tend to believe that gary Gensler's on your side
0: yeah i don't you, like that you tend you, to believe
2: that he's your he's your guy you know he says not your keys not your coins." on tv and uh everything everything else is a security and he's had you know these lectures that he's had at, at the universities where he talks about bitcoin being the only one that is actually a commodity. Um, again, I am I tend to, in that case, I'm not on the numbers go up crowd. I'm with the cypherpunks there. I say you don't want to have a government choosing winners or losers anyway. Absolutely. Uh, I'm not really, I, I think Elon Musk said it very correctly many years ago when he said, look, I have zero respect for the SEC or any of these institutions. <laughs> They're out to crack down on you, not keep you safe. Yeah, and
0: it's clear that, you know, Gary Gensler was trying to be SBF's friend and his parents' friends. So uh, I, I, I'm not a fan of when Bitcoiners think that somehow he's their friend because he's definitely not.
2: They had 13 meetings on the record.
0: Yeah, that's it's
2: pretty wild, right? You think,
0: right? think there'll be any good blue ribbon uh, committees that will come out of that and actually hold them accountable or no?
2: No. Well, this is the problem is a lot of it goes through Congress and the House Finance Service Committee Um, was chaired by Maxine Waters, who knows nothing about any of this stuff and was best buddies with SBF as well. So that the first investigations that took place before this new Congress sat down were like, yes, let's get all of our rage going. But we didn't get to the bottom of anything. We don't know about all the meetings that were held. I mean, look, I try to get meetings all the time with politicians to meet about certain issues. Um, You know, I can't get in the door. I'm not giving them $2 billion, but I can't get in the door. So what does that say about the political process? What does it say about, you know, many of them? I mean, the fact that the Senate Agricultural Committee were the ones that were targeted because they oversee CFTC, you know, that shows we got kinks in our system, man. It cannot be that you just, like, help fund someone's re-election and all of a sudden, you know, your crypto exchange is at the front of the line, especially when you're committing fraud, by the way.
1: That's how that system works, though. So uh unfortunately yeah. and it's you know whatever your thing is right if it's fda approvals or you know banking licenses or you know uh farm bill insert here right that's how it works i don't see that changing that seems to be getting worse
2: yeah i i think you could say that or it's always been this bad and just many more people know it because we have many more you know sort of innovations and technologies that we have to use and then Uh, You know, people have to spend money on lobbying, and I am not opposed to lobbying. I mean, I lobby myself. (laughs) I'm not opposed to it because it it is a way for you to get involved in the democratic process. But unfortunately, this process is fairly cooked, uh, especially if you're raising money for someone doing this and they kind of do what you say. I mean, the the bigger problem, and I'm going back to my classical liberal roots here, is that government has grown so big, so massive, that it is so involved in all these issues that you do essentially have to pay to play. Otherwise, you're going to get regulated out of existence. So what we need to do is actually reduce the scope of what government agencies do so that we don't even need to do this. Relegate it perhaps to the local level as much as possible, where you have you know a lot more impact, or just figure out another way we can do this. Because I, I think that is the larger problem. I mean, we're talking about the United States right now, the you know, largest, richest country in the history of the world, um, but also the most indebted entity you know, that's ever graced this solar system. So, <laughs> I don't know what the future is.
1: Yeah, what do you think about like if there were more you know quasi permanent or longer duration uh bans on working in the industry that, you know, you oversaw or regulated or issued contracts to to mitigate that regulatory capture, right? So like maybe it's 10 years before you can retire from the CFTC and go be on the board of a crypto exchange, right?
2: Yeah, I, I think those are pretty ineffective. Um, Everyone's got lawyers, especially if you're at that level. So there's just unique ways you do about it. If you're just consulting, then, you know, it's not really the same kind of relationship. It's just about registering as a lobbyist, you know, on the federal register of lobbyists. So there are ways around that. Look, I think people should be free to to have these pursuits. And, um, you know, we shouldn't be surprised if Nancy Pelosi, once she retires, turns around and becomes a lobbyist for, I don't know, Pfizer or some other company. You know, do you want to have rules that say you can't have the revolving door of this and that? You know, perhaps, but then they'll just hire the chief of staff, right? Mm -hmm. Or they'll just hire, like, someone else who is in the office. And there's always ways around that. I think it really just comes down to restricting what our government can do, what powers it does have. And, yeah, sure, we'll call it out. But, you know, the media is not always quick to do this. uh, Because I think the position of Barney Frank uh, when it comes to Signature Bank is very interesting. You know, he's someone who wrote the banking regulations then was on the board, and he was blindsided by all of this. <laughs> they interviewed him on the uh, New York Times Daily podcast, and he was apparently hanging out in the Caribbean. <laughs> so it's like he had no no idea what was going on. So I I don't know if um, any of the, the particular bans on you know lobbying past a certain time, because all they do is just go work at a private firm and go back. I will say the numbers have increased, though. I have followed that of uh, former legislators who come back to lobby. It's only gotten bigger in the last couple of years. Um, I mean, they're required by law to register, but uh, nobody goes back like George Washington to their to their farm anymore. You know, it's all. I think only Jesse Ventura was the last one who kind of did it, right? He was governor, and then he went back and you know, started his RT show. <laughs> Wrong network, unfortunately, <laughs> for him. Oh, he, I think he was even had a show on the Venezuelan network at one point. So he was just kind of <laughs> desperate for viewers. Wow, I didn't know that. Did he really Telesur? Yeah. Wow.
0: Well, um, yeah, I think, that, uh, I think that there's definitely going to be ways around, like you said, uh, any other, I don't know, bright spots that you're seeing with consumer choice as it relates to Bitcoin.
2: So there's one thing that Bal- uh, Balaji talked about um, on his program a while back. There's this, um, this island nation of Palau, and uh, it's out in the middle of nowhere, Pacific Island, right? And they have this digital residency program. And it's very much mirrored after the Estonian e-residency program, which does allow you to start a company, and then you're able to you know, use their administration, essentially, to run your daily affairs. Um, I would say that because of the U.S. banking industry rules and because of FATCA, which is a terrible law that should definitely be eliminated tomorrow, um, that plus the Bank Secrecy Act, it's made it more difficult. But what's interesting about these areas is they're trying to create... I mean, unfortunate wording, but Web3 sort of uh, registration. And they want to allow people to become digital residents. And I think innovation in citizenship is something that would be very cool to see. We're seeing it a bit more. The EU is tightening its investor citizenship rules, uh, which probably were abused by many Russians, obviously. I think that kind of stuff would be great. I would love to see much more ability for people to choose where they can live. Now, at the same time, you have to agree and accept that immigration should be more open than it is today, and that's not the general trend. Uh, the U.S. and Canada yesterday, as uh, Trudeau and Biden, they just signed like a new agreement uh, to make it so that people cannot, if they're uh, trying to become a refugee, they can't claim status in the U.S. or Canada, uh, because there's a, there's a small part of the country, it's uh, Roxham Road, uh, it's between uh, New York and uh, the province of Quebec, And a lot of people were just kind of using that to go to Canada, they would get some kind of refugee status and then they were able to stay. So that is now being closed. So we're also becoming kind of more restrictionist when it comes to immigration. And we're not even talking about the boats and the Mediterranean and everything else. Um, You know, that all stems from the economic problems that you have in the developing world. And many of that is caused by instability, you know, and Matt's talked about that in previous podcasts with Alex Gladstein and the rest. A lot of his financial sort of colonialism. There's all kinds of different things. I I hope there's going to be advancements there because if we're able to actually choose the country we want to be in, and you guys have you know you've been immigrants, you've <laughs> you've had to deal with paperwork and all this kind of stuff, and we know many people who are kind of stuck in that bureaucracy. That uh, Franz Kafka, the trial. Hopefully, we can get rid of that. And I don't know exactly. Perhaps it's going to take a a warrior nation like Estonia or Palau or something else. But I think that could be very interesting. And hell, maybe it'll be in the Carolinas at the Catawba digital economic zone.
0: Yeah, I even heard on the BBC, they're talking about Tuvalu, uh, similar oceanic sort of region there, right? And um, same thing, they were actually from the perspective, of course, as always the BBC of climate change, and the island like in 50 years might be completely underwater. But that's their push is to get completely digital and have their citizens be completely digital, like doesn't matter where the 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 nation itself could live online that was the idea and i think you're right um goes back to what we said about stopping an individual that would be great if we could keep pushing that forward but uh listen i want to be sensitive to your time here maybe as we close it we can go back to a more real world topic on the ground some dangerous times actually close to you uh a couple countries over in in france you're our Resident French speaker here as well. You have so many different nationalities. Yeah. uh, What is what is your read of what's happening in Paris right now?
2: France is interesting because France was when Macron was first elected. He, I mean, he was obviously former banker guy, but he came in as a liberal reformer, and that's big L liberal reformer. And the idea was that we got to cut taxes, we got to innovate, we need to have tech companies coming out of France. He was kind of lost in the weeds for about six years and now has come to his senses and he's probably looked at the books and seen that there's no way that the French state can sustain itself, even by having an open immigration policy. So they have to raise the retirement age. It's pretty simple. Uh, Macron has been very sharp in the last, I would say, two weeks. He's been doing a lot of interviews. Uh, in France, they do, they really love radio. So he's been doing every radio station, you know, up and down. It's a very centralized country politically, but he has made an effort to go to Bretagne and he's gone out west and he's gone to the south and he just kind of made the case. It's like, look, we're in a global economic crisis. Interest rates are up. Looking at our own finances in France, we won't survive as an entity, as a country, if we don't reform the way that we do things. And that starts with raising our retirement age. Sorry, that's what we have to do. And I would rather be frank as a president than sit here and lie to you and kick the can down the road, which is like, thank you, Macron, where you've been the last six years. <laughs> uh, but yeah, f- obviously in France, you have political upheaval. And um, I think it's more, if you're in the, in a government and you're, you're trying to push these through these reforms, it is with better merit than many of the climate change goals. Because when the climate change goals came in, France said, okay, we have to reduce our carbon emissions. That's when they started raising taxes on gasoline. And that's when you had the yellow vests. So that that was like sort of a different affair. Now it's generally people who are just, you know, sort of the the protest in the UK many years ago against austerity, against reducing the size of the state. France has, I think it's like 45 to 50% of the people kind of work in some kind of public administration job. So yeah, it's just constituencies very upset to that probably a lot of handouts that have been very generous in the French system. Um, yeah, interesting times, and there's all kinds of reasons you can hate the government, but hey, man, if they're trying to reform things, what can you really do?
0: Do you think, though, that the brutality of the police is just uh, something that we see more of as social media becomes more
2: ubiquitous? Or Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we saw this uh, the worst, I think, yeah, my thing that goes back to 2014, 15 is Catalonia had their vote for independence. And, um, you know, the police went out in just absolute brutality, smashing the faces of people. I mean, there's all this kind of stuff was just amazing to see. And that was just because people held a vote. Right. <laughs> so obviously, if people are out in the streets, uh, police will be kicked back. And, you know, we saw this in the, in the U.S., uh, whatever it was, two years ago. Um, and there's a lot of pressure on, on police. And I think that's why technology is a good thing, because then if we can see exactly what's happening. Uh, we can have a bit more accountability, assuming that the laws are followed. Uh, but you know, I expect there's probably going to be a lot of protests. We have to remember the Arab Spring. You know, why did that spring up? Because food prices were way too high. Uh, Vendor burned himself, the you know, administration that you have to do to own a food cart. Uh, I can only imagine with a higher interest rates, more austerity. Yeah, I thought you're, I was supposed to end on a positive point.
0: self-effigy is not exactly that is it
2: it is not but it is okay because we burn bright and orange and uh, there are greater tomorrows and many different opportunities and i'm uh, actually very hopeful that entrepreneurs are finding answers to this stuff every every day and uh, many times they're not getting to the top of our twitter feeds or Noster feeds or whatever it might be but uh, people are doing Great things we just have to turn around and you know be a very curious consumer of as many technologies and products and services as possible
0: well listen yeah that's uh that's a great note to end it on Where can our viewers and listeners find out more about what you're doing and how to contact you so on and so forth
2: yeah i'm uh, I'm right I'm writing way too much these days but uh, I'm over there at the Consumer Choice Center. Uh, basically our own little uh, consumer advocacy group that we started a couple of years ago and now on Fix the Money, a podcast here in Vienna with uh, Austrian Bitcoiner Nikolaus Hilch, trying to stay true to the message and see what we can do for the protocol ourselves. So all right. catch me online. I'm the only Yael O-S-S in the world. So <laughs> find me. <laughs> we, we will link to all that
0: for sure. Great, man. Thanks a lot for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thank you so
2: much.